So Revelation chapter 21 this morning. You guys nice and comfortable? Let's go ahead and stand, if you'd stand with me, and we'll pray together. So, Father, we come before you thankful, humble, thankful for the reality of heaven. It's difficult for us to, to comprehend heaven. And we ask right now, through the power of your spirit, that you would come, that you would encourage us, that you would give us a vision through your word of what heaven is going to be like. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. A woman was terminally ill and she was meeting with her pastor to schedule out her memorial uh, service. And they were going over what scriptures would be read and what songs would be sung and, and who would share Then she had this request, and it was a fairly unusual request. The the service was going to be open casket, and she said, I I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And the pastor's like, well, what in the world? Why would you want to be buried with a fork in your hand? And, And she said, well, I've gone to potlucks all these years at church, and whenever they say, hold on to your fork, I know the best is yet to come. The dessert is waiting. She said, I want the church to be reminded that the best is yet to come. Sometimes we hear this phrase, the best is yet to come, and we're thinking from an earthly perspective, we're going, really? Is the best really yet to come in this life? Do do I have that much to, to look forward to? But when it comes to heaven and when it comes to eternal life, the best is yet to come. For us as believers, we have so much to look forward to. This chapter gives us a vision of heaven. It gives us a a picture of what heaven is going to be like, the new Jerusalem. Let's pause for just a moment. Where are we in the book of Revelations as we get close to the end? God gave us an outline for this book. In chapter 1, verse 19, it's referred to as the divine outline. God told John, write the things which you have seen, which is the revelation of Jesus, chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, write the things which are, which is the church, the seven churches. That's the current time that John is living in. Then from chapter 4 to chapter 22, write the things that take place after this. And there's a lot in that section from 4 to 22, yet future events uh, for John. We've seen the judgments that God gave on a Christ-rejecting world. The seven seals, which led to the seven bowls, and the seven trumpets, which then led to the battle of Armageddon and Christ's return. The marriage feast of the Lamb, then the millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ, a literal reign of Christ. Followed up with the millennium was the great white throne judgment, the judgment of unbelievers. Now when we get to chapter 21, we see a new heaven and a new earth. God makes all things new. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. This is prophesied and predicted in several places throughout Scripture. In Hebrews 1, verse 10, it says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, 
and your years will not fail. So God's going to just fold up this world like a garment. First Peter tells us that this world is going to be burned up with fervent heat. Those that are concerned about global warming, they are right. It, it is going to happen. Thing, things are going to warm up. And God is going to burn up the, the, this world. Isn't it hard to imagine, you know, Pikes Peak has been here for generations and will continue to be, but there's a point where Pikes Peak will be no more. Romans 8 tells us that even creation groans. Creation is aging. Creation longs for the redemption of all things. Isaiah 65 says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. So this is hard for us to comprehend, but it's the absolute truth of Scripture that there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be created, and this earth will pass away. How about the end of verse 1 there? Also, there will be no more sea. That's a little bit of a bummer. I don't think anything's going to be missing in heaven. I'm, I'm sure there'll be something that is just as good and better, but can mourn the loss of the beach a little bit there, I guess. In verse 2, and I saw John, and then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A new heaven, New Jerusalem. That is a gift to God that's presented to God as a bride that's adorned for her husband. Brides preparing themselves for their their husbands. I I like the old tradition where the husband doesn't see his bride-to-be until she walks down the aisle. She's prepared with her dress and he hasn't seen the dress and and he sees his his bride in her dress for the first time. And this is the illustration of, of New Jerusalem that it's been adorned, it's been a gift for for God. In verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the last time the phrase, a loud voice, is used in the book of Revelation. It's been used 20 times. The book of Revelation is a loud book, all of these loud voices that are speaking to John. And this is the last declaration, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will be with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and and be their God. God's desire has always been to dwell with us, amazingly, that he would want to, to dwell with us. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve having fellowship with God that's unhindered by sin until they fell. Journeying into Israel's journeys when they're in the wilderness and God instructs them to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God's presence would be represented. Here they are on a camping trip going from Egypt to the promised land and God says, I want to put my presence in in the midst of my people. God wanted to dwell with his people. When they did inherit the promised land, then Solomon built a temple where God's presence dwelt with the the children of Israel. John chapter 1, Jesus, the word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. God tabernacled among us. 
One of the names and titles given to Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God wanted to dwell with us so much that he sent his only son to take on human flesh, to die for our sin and rise again so that we can dwell with God. And now here in this new Jerusalem is the ultimate fulfillment of this, where we're able to see God and behold God and nothing is in the way and dwell with him in this relationship that we have with him. We're his people and he is our God. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. So right now we just see dimly. But those who've gone before us, those who are home with the Lord right now, they see face to face. They're enjoying the fullness of of this relationship. We're promised in the scriptures that when we see him, we're going to be made like him. We're going to be glorified. There's no more sin. An amazing promise worth underlining in verse 4. And behold, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Think about who in your life has been close enough to you to wipe tears from your eyes. It's a pretty short list. I'd be honest, if, I, if I'm crying and a stranger comes up to try to comfort me and wipe tears from my eyes, I'd be like, get away from me. Like, I don't want you touching me, right? Like, I, I don't know you. Like, I would never go up to, to somebody that, that I don't know and, and say, oh, you're having such a hard time. Let me just wipe those tears from your eyes. Uh, there's something that's sacred about it. You know? Your parents, I'm sure, wiped tears from your eyes. As parents, we can remember times when our kids were little and, and wiping tears uh, from, from their eyes. Husbands and wives, in some times of, of difficulty, you reach out and wipe tears from your, your spouse's eyes. And the only way you can wipe tears from someone's eyes is if there's closeness in relationship. And it's that relationship with the Father where he wipes those tears from our eyes. It, it's his presence that brings that comfort. And heaven is the existence of everything good, but it's also canceling out everything that's evil and all of the suffering in this life. Let's meditate upon this list. There's no more death. No more death. Death is not a respecter of persons and is never satisfied. The grave is never satisfied. And in heaven, there's going to be no more death, no more miscarriages, no more parents grieving for the loss of their child in in the womb. There's no more infants dying in the crib, passing away mysteriously in their sleep. No more dying in a car accident. 2021, Colorado had 670 people pass away in car accidents. The rate just keeps going up and up and up. That's 670 families that didn't have a dad come home, didn't have a daughter uh, come home that had the impact of death coming. No more death through, through cancer, all of the diseases. No more death. As believers, I think we don't necessarily fear death. It's just the process. How is it going to happen? Like the end result is I know I'm going to be with the Lord, but, but what's the process going to be like? And there's, there's no more death. There's no more anyone getting that news, that phone call, that conversation that a loved one has passed away. 
Also, there's no more sorrow. Lots of things are in the bucket of, of sorrow. Maybe depression. Some of you wrestle with depression and it, it's something that you battle with and, and battle through. No more sorrow of depression. Some have experienced tremendous rejection in your life through broken relationships. And it provides sorrow in your life and a lot of questions. And there's, there's no more sorrow, no more broken relationships. Some of you have experienced tremendous abuse in your life that has created a, a fog. No more sorrow. No more reliving those, those memories. It's all gone. The former things have, have passed away. Nor crying. These tears, they're, they're wiped away to never be again. God removes the tears. And then there's no more pain. Some of you live with a tremendous amount of physical pain. I have a theory. I think that some will enjoy their glorified body more than others. It's like if you've gone through this life with chronic illness, you've gone through this life with a tremendous amount of, of physical pain, you're probably like, man, I am so thankful for this glorified body. I'm sure we'll all be thankful for our glorified bodies. If you're living with, with pain in this life, man, in heaven there's going to be no more pain. It's all going to be wiped away and the former things have passed away. In verse 5, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are faithful and true. God speaks. He's the one who sits upon the throne. And he says, I make all things new. Isn't this a tremendous declaration of God? That he makes all things new. Even what he does here, with there being a new heaven and a new earth, represents the gospel. Represents God's ability to, to take something that has been corrupted with sin and is frail and allow that to pass away but then create something that, that's new. You're a new creation in Christ as a believer. The old has passed away and you become new. This is what God does. This is what he does through the death and resurrection of Jesus is he makes all things new and the new heaven and new earth represent that. And God wants John to write this down. I want you to pay attention that I make all things new. I'm the one who's true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. God declares, it is done. As we journey through Revelation, the tribulation, the millennium, it's all done. It's complete. God's wrapping things up. Human history is wrapped up with eternity. It's done. It, it is finished. With this statement, God says, I am the great expression of his deity. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's the only two letters of Greek that, I'm, that I know, right? Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Think of God revealed in Genesis. He's the beginning. He spoke all things into existence. But he's also the great finisher. He's the omega. He's, he's the beginning and the end. And the end is emphasized here in the book of Revelation. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So heaven, the new Jerusalem, we're going to have access, free refills to this living water that our soul longs for so much. And Jesus gives this to us spiritually now. 
In John chapter 7, Jesus stood up and he cried out and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But we get distracted. We struggle with our sin and our flesh. All of that's going to be removed. We'll be with the Lord and we're going to be able to enjoy freely of the living water. Notice Jesus' declaration where he says, I give this freely. I give this out of the goodness of my character, out of my grace. This living water that is extended to us. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Overcome speaks of the life in Christ. First John says, who is the one who overcomes? The one that believes that Jesus is the son of God. As we believe in Jesus and what he's done for us, we, we overcome. And as we believe, then we inherit. We inherit this relationship of being the children of God. So, as we picture heaven and we imagine heaven, it's everything good. There's no more sin. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. But it's all this, so this fullness of this relationship with God where he is our father. He desires to, to dwell with us in this deep relationship of being his children. In verse 8, but cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Last week, we talked a lot about the second death. The second death is eternally being separated from the Lord. The first death is your physical death. The second death is your spiritual death. Is verse 8 saying that we're saved by our works? No. We know from the Bible that we're saved by grace through what Jesus has done for us. This is not speaking of a struggle with sin, but this is speaking of a lifestyle of sin. As believers, we struggle with sin, but we should not be comfortable in sin. There should be that conviction of, of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times for me, the way that I look at this is the attitude of someone's heart. If someone says, man, I, I'm in adultery and I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel any conviction about it. And in fact, the Lord blesses it and the Lord wants me uh, to be happy and I'm going to continue with it. It's like, well, where's the Lord in that? You know, where, where's the Holy Spirit in your life? Compared to someone that says, man, I, I did what I never thought that I would do. This is not where God wants me to be. This is not where I want to be, could the Lord forgive me? And there's that broken and contrite spirit. That's the evidence of the spirit of God living inside of them. And so verse 8 is this, this warning really of our, our attitude towards uh, sin. In verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come and I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So the angel that had the seven bulls. One of the angels with the seven bulls, he comes now to John and says, hey, I'm going to show you the lamb's wife. And if you're new to the scripture, this, this may be something that is a little bit hard to grasp, but the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that. So God really has designed family to hopefully give us a little bit of a picture of a concept of what our relationship with God is like 
on a much grander scale because we mess up family relationships uh, through sin, but there's no sin in God. So God's our father. Not like an earthly father, he's a heavenly father that, that's absolutely perfect. And hopefully a, a Christian marriage is a display of Christ and, and the church. As husbands, the way that we feel about our wives, th- this is the way that Christ feels about the church. I really enjoy spending time with my wife, Amber. I, I love being married to her. She makes marriage easy. And in September, we were able to celebrate our anniversary, our 20th anniversary, and spend a week together without the kids. I love my kids too, but it's nice to spend time j- just with, with Amber. And I was telling her this week, we got to start now of planning something in September for our 21st anniversary. Even if we go camping, let, let, let's just get some time together without the kids. And think about Jesus, how much more he longs to spend time with us. He longs to be with us. He longs to, to be close to us. And the church, we respond and we say, oh, Jesus, I long to, to be with you. And we're going to enter into the fullness of, of this relationship. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. So Jerusalem throughout the scriptures for the nation of Israel is this hub, this place where they would come together to worship the Lord. The feasts would be celebrated there. The temple was central there. And now there's this new Jerusalem that's descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So as you you see the new Jerusalem, it's as clear as crystal. It's translucent. Also, she had a a great and high wall, about 12,000 gates, excuse me. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, of the children of Israel. So this great wall that's around with the 12 gates, there's 12 angels, and the 12 tribes of Israel are written upon the gates. God brought Christ to us, his son, through the nation of Israel, through the tribe of Judah. And so the 12 tribes are honored by the names over the gates. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, Three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12, were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we see all of these 12s. There's 12 foundations and on the foundations is the name of the 12 apostles. Now when you get to heaven, when you get to the new Jerusalem, I want you to go around to the 12 foundations And 11 of the names we know. But what's the 12th apostle? Because it's probably not Judas. Unless it's like Judas, son of perdition. He really messed things up. No. It's probably not Judas. So who is it? I think it's going to be Paul. Anybody with me? I think it's going to be the apostle Paul. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think I'm right. I think it's going to be Paul. I don't know. But there's 12 apostles, fun to think about. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city. Now that's quite a tape measure, a gold tape measure. 
its gates, its wall, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. So its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are, are equal. So it's a square or, or a cube. And he measures uh, this. Its length and breadth are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel. A cubit is about 18 inches. So as we look at this, 12,000 furlongs equals 1,000 miles. So 12,000 furlongs would be 144,000 miles cubed. So you've got to think of this as cubed, which is about 2 million miles squared. It's hard to comprehend those numbers. I really get lost in those numbers. All I can really tell you is New Jerusalem is enormous, right? It's enormous. We don't have to worry about there being enough space. There's, there's plenty of space for all of us in the New Jerusalem. He measured its wall 140 cubits. In verse 18, the construction of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear crystal. Man, imagine the building material here. The walls of jasper, the, the city is, is pure gold like, like glass. What's the price of gold right now per ounce? I looked it up yesterday. You ready for this? It's $1,835 per ounce. Gang, we live in Colorado. We need to go look for gold. <laughs> that needs to be our Saturday hobby, right? Just, just one little ounce is almost $2,000. But yet, in heaven, what's most valuable here on earth is building material in heaven. We're going to read in a few more verses that the streets are paved with gold. God's making a statement here. He's saying what you're working so hard for your whole entire life is, is simply asphalt in heaven. Someone comes up to you and is like, hey, I've been investing in gold because of the craziness of our world. Well, hey, you got some nice asphalt in heaven, right? <laughs> Just a whole different economy that, that God is building here. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the surf, the third caldoni, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh crystallite, the eighth burel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophaz, and the eleventh jasthin, and the twelfth amethyst. So again, we see a series of 12, these 12 different types of stone that's used in the, the foundation. There's another place in scripture where there's 12 stones. It's in the Old Testament with the breastplate of the high priest. And that these 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And God may be tying that in here as he mentions the, the 12 stones the 12 gates were the 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So the gates are made out of pearls. That's where we get the term pearly gates, right? What's the significance of the pearls? In Matthew chapter 13, we're told of someone who knows that there's a pearl in the field and they give everything to be able to buy the field. 
And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he gave everything in order to be able to purchase us from our sins. The, the pearl speaks of the people of God and how God values and loves us, his people. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. No temple because we're dwelling with God. The temple representing our fellowship with God, there's no need for a temple any longer because we have pure fellowship with God. So, so no temple in the new Jerusalem. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. No sun or moon in the new Jerusalem because Jesus' face, his glory, the glory of God illuminates heaven. There's no night. There's going to be no need to sleep there. No need for our bodies to be refreshed through, through sleep. If you don't sleep good in heaven, you're not going to have to worry about it. With these glorified bodies, there's not going to be the need for, for sleep. Verse 24, it's an interesting verse. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. So what are these kings that come into the new Jerusalem bringing God glory? It really brings up more questions than answers. Because in this chapter, we've got a lot of description of the new Jerusalem, the the new heaven, but we don't have a lot of description of the new earth. What's going on in the new earth and what's going on with these kings? Here's a commentator that writes about it says, how encouraging to note that not all were destroyed when the nations had come to do battle against Jerusalem and the Lord himself. There will also be kings of the earth who will be part of the eternal state. As I read this, I just just go, I don't understand this. I I don't understand how this is going to work. I kind of vaguely get this new Jerusalem, but then here these kings are, are coming and they're bringing glory and honor from the nations to Christ. In verse 25, its gates shall be shut at all, and its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, so no reason to shut the gates. And they shall bring glory and the honor of the nations into it. In verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So only those are allowed to enter whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no evil that's going to be present in this new uh, Jerusalem. A lot to ponder in this chapter. We'll, we'll take a, a look at this chapter in depth on, on Wednesday night. Actually, not this Wednesday night because it's a night of prayer and worship. But, but here's my question for you as we, as we close is how much does heaven impact your heart and your life? Jesus said, he said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Because if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Jesus gives us an antidote, an answer to a troubled heart. And it's heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We think about how wonderful this life is, even though it's flawed and broken through sin. 
It is wonderful. God's creation is wonderful. I think it was Thursday morning, and I woke up with the fog and the snow and the frost on the trees. I was like, this is so beautiful. I woke up in Narnia this morning. I mean, it was just phenomenally beautiful. Imagine how wonderful heaven is, is going to be. Don't allow your heart to be troubled because he goes to prepare a place for you. Job, who suffered so much in his life, right in the middle of his suffering, before God meets him and really gives him perspective and clarity, he wrote this in, in Job chapter 19. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Job, even as an Old Testament believer, believed that he would be resurrected. He's saying, in this flesh, I'm going to see God. This body's going to die, but God's going to raise it up. And in this flesh, I'm going to see God. Do you believe that? Are you holding on to that? That someday you're going to see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another how my heart yearns within me, the hope of Job. For me, the last two years, the, the hope of heaven has really increased uh, in my life. And it's largely to do with some challenges that I've had in my health. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this verse has become just an anchor for me. And I want to read it to you. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I'm thankful, like I I feel good and God's been gracious to me since I got diagnosed uh, two years ago. But until I go home to be with the Lord, there's going to be things that I wrestle through in my health. God is allowing me to have a daily reminder of, of, hey, Eric, your body is not eternal. Your body is, is perishing. And that has caused me to think about heaven much more on a daily basis. And maybe your body doesn't work the way that it once did. That's a reminder from the Lord that things are temporary and focus on the things that are eternal. Is there an affliction in your life? And this verse is powerful. It says that affliction is actually working for us. Something that has eternal value. It's not wasted. And so instead of getting angry or bitter over the physical difficulty in our life or the relational difficulty, that hardship. God's saying, hey, get your focus off of the things that are temporary and put your focus on the things that are eternal. So, hey, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we get excited to think about what heaven is going to be like. But in the midst of the busyness of life, the, the daily trials of life, it can be easy to focus on the things that are here and now. Would you stamp eternity on our hearts, on our eyes? May we see this life through the lens of eternity. Father, we can't wait until we see you, we behold you, that we enter into the fullness of this relationship. But until then, we want to be faithful. Until then, we want to 
live life to the fullest, invest here and now, looking forward to eternal life. Would you be gracious to just put this hope deep within our hearts and our lives? We love you in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, as we worship the Lord, please come and trust Christ. Your eternity does determined by what you choose to do with Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He rose again. But you must repent and believe, inviting him to be the Lord of your life. So if you haven't made that decision, come. We'll be available here in the front, also online. There's a team to respond as you indicate in the chats and and the comments. Also, if you need prayer, you're like, man, I am so looking forward to heaven, but today I'm going through trial. It'd be a privilege to be able to pray with you. So, so come and receive prayer. Ask for prayer online as well. And thanks so much for coming this morning. Hope you're encouraged. And let's lift our voices in worship.